Thank you, Gary. Good morning. morning. Happy Sabbath to you. I pray that you had a wonderful week. I did. I, again, every time I stand here, I just feel so very thankful for what God continues to do in my life. And today we're talking about fear and fire. And I want to begin by sharing with you a picture on the screen. It's a picture of a man by the name of Maury Shorts, who's lying down, and Mitch Album, who is beside him. Maury Shorts, this story, this, this story actually, depending on your age, you might know of it, or depending on whether you've read the book, you might have heard of this story before. But Mitch Album is the one who is with the notepad writing, and Mitch Album came home one evening after work and sat down to relax. It was a tough day. He was a sports writer and came home and he wanted to relax, spend some moment just to kind of recoup. He turned on the television to see what was happening in the world around him. And as he was watching Switching Channels, he stumbled upon a program, ABC's Nightline, a program that caught his attention. It was a story that was highlighting the life of Maury Shorts. Mitch recognized Maury because Maury was his sociology professor back in college. And they were good friends. Every Tuesday, Mitch would go to Maury's office when he was a student, and they would sit and talk together. And he learned many valuable lessons from his professor. But now the television program was highlighting Maury Schwartz because there was a phenomenon going on. Maury Schwartz was actually dying. He was dying because he had ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease. And uh, ABC Nightline's program was highlighting his life because instead of spending the rest of his life in solitude, considering that he was dying, instead he chose to serve. And so people would come to visit Maury. They would tell him their problems, and he would listen and give counsel. They would pour out their hearts to him. And as a result, people were hearing more and more about Maury, so much so that the ABC Nightline decided to go and do an interview with this man because something was happening. How? A man who had so much to, to, a man who was going through so much, who had so many reasons to complain, instead of complaining, was using his last couple months of life to, to serve and give. Mitch Album was now thinking, Because back in college, he had promised Maury that he would come visit, but he never did. Life happened, and he had moved on, and now he saw his old professor, his friend, dying. And so Mitch decided that he was going to pay Maury a visit. And so he packed his things, boarded a flight, and ended up at Maury's home. And they had their first meeting. And they started talking. By the way, Lou Gehrig's disease, I learned, is a neurodegenerative disease that progressively destroys cells in the brain and in the spine. And what happens over time is that the disease attacks the muscles and so much so that they they get atrophied and they become useless. And so Mitch watched Maury as he lost his ability to walk, his ability to sit up, to hold a fork. His ability to not even be able to put his glasses on his face, the muscles just didn't work. 
But Mitch, every visit with Maury, one visit to another, and then eventually Mitch decided to spend, uh, he lost his job and ended up spending a lot of time with Maury, and like back in college, he started visiting Maury every Tuesday. And like good old times, Mitch and Maury talked every Tuesday. And so Mitch Album wrote a book called Tuesdays with Maury. You should read it sometime. Maury had only a few months to live. And so in this book, Mitch Album decided to tell the story or tell or give a, a, an account of the events that took place or the, the meetings that took place with Maury, his professor, before he died. All the councils. There are many things that they had talked about. In Tuesdays with, with Maury, uh, on the Tuesdays with Maury that Mitch and him at that meeting, I imagined him taking copious notes and writing down everything that Maury had to say. And Mitch decided to write a book on Maury's behalf to cover his medical bills. The book became a best, bestseller. And somehow the money was provided to cover his bills. And so Mitch and Maury talked about many lessons of life, among which were forgiveness. They talked about spirituality the importance of marriage, how, how to deal with culture, dealing with death, and so on. Tuesdays with Maury. Today I want to bring your attention to another student and another professor. And though we could spend time on the many lessons from in this classroom, as Mitch had in his classroom with Maury right there in his living room, our time only allows us to focus on one, fear and fire. I invite you to bow your heads as we pray together. Father, the time is now yours. Who are we to come before such a holy God, a great God, to endeavor to ask anything of him? But yet we come based on an invitation that you had given to us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so we come asking that you speak to us not because we deserve to hear from you, but because we know that you love us and you have a lot to say. We're so thankful for the many privileges you allow us to receive from day to day. And we pray now, Father, that your presence will be with us in this worship service. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Fear and fire. The student that I want to tell you about is a student by the name of Timothy and the professor that I want to tell you about is a professor by the name of Paul. Timothy, like Mitch Album, had his Tuesdays with Paul. They had many conversations. The first classroom lecture happened back in Lystra. We see this in Acts chapter 16 and verse 1 when they first met. When Timothy met Paul in Lystra, Paul was there on an assignment. God had called him to raise up churches and he ended up in Lystra, and he met this young man for the first time. And the Bible says in verse 1, And behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. We don't know much about Timothy's father, but we know much about his relationship with Paul. And we know more about Timothy by the way that Paul related to Timothy. I would imagine that Paul taught him what it means to strengthen a church in the faith. Paul had another lecture on church growth, and we see this in Acts 16, verse 5, for the Bible says, as they worked together, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in numbers daily. Timothy 
was in the right school. He was being taught by a good professor. You can see the devotion of Paul to Paul, the teacher, to his particular student from the way Luke tells us in the book of Acts. And then further illustrated by the way that Paul wrote to Timothy and wrote about Timothy. Our next text comes from Philemon, verse, uh, chapter 1 and verse 1. He says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer, Paul would often include Timothy in his letters. When Timothy was released from prison, Paul was there. And the Bible says in Hebrews 13, verse 23, Know that our brother Timothy has been set free, with whom I shall see you if he comes shortly. Paul often included Timothy. When Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 2, on page 1361, he says this, To Timothy, a true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. And then 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 2, Paul goes even further to Timothy, a beloved son. Such a relationship between a professor and a student. There were many Tuesdays with Paul. After Paul was put in prison, I imagine Timothy would have gone to visit him right there in that Roman dungeon. Paul was placed there in a, in a cell that was six feet high, 30 feet long, and 22 feet wide, right there underground. Their prisons back then were uh, a type of prison where you would, there would be a hole in the ground, they would lower you in there, and that's it. You would spend the rest of your life there. And Timothy, I imagine, would go to that classroom to learn from Paul. They talked about many things. They talked about the church because Timothy was the one who led the church in Ephesus. And these one-on-one -on -one sessions with the Apostle Paul, I imagine, during the latter years of his life, meant that Timothy would pay rather close attention, and like Mitch, he would take a lot of notes. He heard from the veteran preacher what it means to preach. He learned the true meaning of church. Professor Paul had poured into Timothy. Paul's lectures were often deep, so profound that Timothy had to rethink life itself. The lessons would range from suffering, death, resurrection, spirituality, faith, church business, fear, and fire. At one point, Paul wrote to Timothy saying, 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 12, Let no one despise your youth, but be an example unto the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. This was a lesson on lifestyle. Another time, Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4, page 1367, no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. That was a lesson on priority and focus. Furthermore, there was also a lesson on purity, for the Apostle Paul stated, Flee youthful lust, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. I was reading uh, Barry Black's book called uh, the, the, From the Hood to the Hill. 
his story of his uh, chaplaincy experience. And in the book, he, he mentions that whenever he read the book of Timothy, whether it be 1 Timothy or 2 Timothy, he often replaced the word son with his own name. When Paul would say to Timothy, a beloved son, he would say, Paul, to Barry Black, a beloved son. And so I started practicing the same thing. 2 Timothy, if you'll turn there with me. 2 Timothy chapter 1. This is where we're going to spend most of our time today. 2 Timothy chapter 1. The Bible says this. Paul, chapter 1 and verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus, to Germain, a beloved son. Kind of makes me feel good. A beloved son. If there's one thing that Paul wanted Timothy to remember before his death, and by the, by the way, this was Paul's last letter. Writing to his beloved son, there was a message that he wanted to make clear to Timothy as Timothy was engaging in his ministry. Paul wanted Timothy to remember that there was a father who loved him. Timothy needed to understand that Paul loved him. Paul didn't always strike me as an affectionate guy. I don't know if you've, if you've ever read the Gospels, you can see some very fiery moments in the ministry of the Apostle Paul. You remember, he and Barnabas had some disagreements over Mark. And Paul refused to allow Mark on the trip. But here it is that Paul now reaches out to Timothy and he's saying, Timothy, a beloved son. His affections are definitely outlined here. It's very clear that he loves Timothy. A genuine father type. This professor, this teacher, now looked forward to talking to his son. Paul understood the great principle in life that if you love someone, tell them before you die. If you love someone, tell them while they are still alive and while you still have the breath to tell them. And Paul understood another great principle that ministers need encouragement too, like everyone else. If you say amen, that would be encouraging. You see, Timothy was not only Paul's son, he was pastoring the church in Ephesus, and the church had major issues. A church where members struggled with things such as false teaching and false teachers, such as Hymenaeus and Philetus. You read this in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 16 through 18. Impurity was another issue in the church. Some who had departed from the faith, such as Alexander in 1 Timothy 1, 19 and 20, a grasping for wealth instead of God, 1 Timothy 6 and uh, verse 6 through 10, immodesty uh, and, and in dress and behavior, 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 9, gossipers, busybodies, saying things that they shouldn't, 1 Timothy 5 and verse 13. And then Paul says in the latter days, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits. You see, Timothy had a church that really, really needed help. And Timothy was a student, and he was still learning. This was at Ephesus, a church that had lost its first love. You read in Revelation chapter 3, and now was under the attack of the enemy, and Timothy had to stand as a leader 
He was called by God to do a work, and Paul wanted to teach him one more lesson as to how it may and will be done. And therefore, we have 2 Timothy. Paul goes on, verse 3. I thank God, whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing, I, without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers how often? Night and day. You know, it is so encouraging when you know that someone is praying for you. Without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers night and day. I wish we would pray for each other more. Paul goes on, verse 4, greatly desiring to see you being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. Timothy also was an affectionate student. He knew how to cry. Most men try to hide tears. And here Paul is writing to Timothy and about Timothy, and he says, I remember your tears. Timothy, I imagine, was mourning because his professor was not going to live for too long. Paul was going to die. Like Mitch Album, Maury Schwartz did not have too long to live. Timothy was mourning the certain loss. He knew Paul had presented his case before the magistrates, and it did not go well. And the next thing that Paul would experience after staying a few months, few days in his cell would be death. And so Timothy was shaken by it. There were many issues in the church he was leading. And if Timothy could have more conversations with Paul, it would be very helpful. He was young and seemingly inexperienced, but yet there was work to be done. There were prominent leaders that opposed him, but yet still Timothy had to do work. Now, Timothy might have been terrified about future prospects. He had reasons to be. He might have had valid reasons to give up, close shop, and walk away because his professor was about to die, and he had many things to deal with. Saying it's too much to handle and walk away would have been reasonable from a human perspective. He might have been tempted to think this way, but like the great father and teacher the Apostle Paul was, he goes on. He wanted to ensure that Timothy understood what was in his possession. Verse 5, Paul says, When I call to remembrance, Paul uses the word remember many times in, this, in these few verses. When I call to remembrance the what? The genuine faith that is in you. If there's one thing that you and I need to draw away from this dialogue that Paul is having in terms of his writing to Timothy is that Timothy was a man of faith. He believed. And this was not just any kind of faith. This was the genuine article of faith. We need a church that has faith. And not just faith. We need genuine faith in, face, in, in, in light of issues. Then he says, faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. Timothy was a third generation Seventh-day Adventist. He knew what faith was. His grandmother, his mother, and now in him. You know, there's a danger when it comes to faith. Not because grandma believed. It doesn't mean you will. 
It means still that you have to choose to believe. It means that you too have to choose to have the genuine article. Because their faith is not sufficient to save you. Therefore, I remind you, Paul says in verse 6, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Here is Paul's counsel. In light of the genuine faith that is in you, in light of the circumstances that are around you, Timothy, I invite you to stir up the gift of God which is in you. Timothy had genuine faith, but he also had gifts. And he needed to stir up the gifts. While it might not be possible to stir up faith as it is a gift from God, we can stir up the gift that God has given to us. But J.B. Phillips' translation takes this verse and says this, and, and uh, puts it this way. Because of this faith, I now remind you to stir up the inner fire which God gave you at your ordination through my hands. Stir up the inner fire that God gave you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and love and a sound mind. In light of the circumstances that were around Timothy, he needed not to fear. What he needed most was fire. And we need fire today. Professor Paul, a final note from his pen. In the classroom one more time, not in the prison cell, but Timothy in his office reading this letter. The classroom was now timeless as it is exposed to you and I. He says to Timothy, stir up the inner fire. This final lesson about fear and fire. Let's talk about fear first. For God has not given us a spirit of what? Fear. But of power. And of, and of a sound mind. What is the origin of fear? Where did it come from? When God gives men a responsibility to fulfill, how does fear set in? We go back to the book of Genesis, the beginning of the story of mankind, and we see the first time that fear appears. Genesis chapter 3 is where we're going to go, page 3. Genesis chapter 3, we find God looking for his creation. The dust from which he breathed, uh, the dust into which he breathed the breath of life, and man became a living being. They had sinned, and now they were running from the very God who made them. Verse 8, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. It's unfortunate. Then the Lord called to Adam and said to him, where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid. Fear sets in when there is a distance between God and myself. Fear arrives when something has gone wrong in the relationship with God. 
Fear overwhelms us. And this is the kind of fear that's not godly fear. This is being afraid sets in when we have walked away from the requirements of God. So Adam was now hiding for fear. Our fear only comes from our alienation from God. Our fear exists when we become disconnected. There are more reasons to fear when God is not in something than when he is in it. That is why it is never wise to walk through a door that's too small to fit God in. That is why it's never wise to go along a path that God cannot follow along with you. Because fear will overwhelm you. God needs to be present. And where the presence of God is, the fear will be removed. Hebrews 13, verse 5 through 6, the Bible says, I will never leave you, a promise from the Lord. I will never leave you, nor forsake you. So we may say boldly, as a result, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? When the Lord is present, there is no need to fear. Back to, for, to Timothy. Again, Paul reminds Timothy that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of, and of a sound mind. Can you imagine if our church had more power? Can you imagine if our church had more love? Can you imagine if we all had sound minds? But we ought not just to seek the absence of fear. As Paul is writing to Timothy, I imagine him thinking about this idea that Paul conveyed to him. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. He goes on. But we ought not to just seek the absence of fear, we must seek rather the presence of fire. Most of our lives we go trying to figure out how to go through life without being afraid. But really, the tragedy is when we go through life without being in the presence of God. The tragedy is when we try to walk through the wilderness without the presence of God. The tragedy is when we walk through the wilderness without the fire to guide us by night. We need fire, not fear. When Moses started his journey with the Lord, his journey was started with fire. You remember when he got called the first time, he walked up, there was a burning bush out of which the Lord spoke to him. The Israelites, as they journeyed along with Moses, the path through the wilderness was a path that was led by fire. We never and should never go anywhere without fire. Today, we use the words, I want to be on fire for the Lord. I don't know about you, but I want to be on fire for the Lord. On the day of Pentecost, the disciples had their own wilderness to travel, stuck in a small upper room, fearing for their lives, realizing that they, had, they too had a mission to fulfill. Like Timothy, they had a church to raise up. And what they needed was fire. And what did they do in the upper room? Let's go to the book of Acts. The Bible says this. Acts chapter 2. And verse 1. 
When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire. And one sat upon each of them. The disciples, in order to fulfill their mission, they needed fire. And God supplied it. This is not a fire that is humanly possible. You cannot create this fire. When you and I say, I want to be on fire for God, we cannot create that of ourselves. We need to ask for fire. And is God willing to give fire? We can see in scripture that he is more than willing. A father wants to give good gifts to his children, but God how much more wants to give us the Holy Spirit? Fishermen, as a result of this fire, became high men of intellect. Men who had not formerly known languages would now rattle off Greek, Hebrew, Latin, the language of the Medes, Cretans, and so on. The Bible says, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared unto them divided tongues as of fire. And what was the result of this fire? We go to Acts chapter 4 and verse 13. The Bible says as a result of this fire, when people looked at Peter and John, this is what they saw. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled, and they realized that they had been with Jesus. They could tell that these were individuals who were on fire for God. It was clear. No one had to announce it. It was seen in their lives. What if our church was on fire for God? What if you and I were on fire for God? The whole world would see. So again... In the great and fearful journey, Moses and the children of Israel had fire. In the early church, the disciples had fire. In Paul's day, there was fire. And Timothy had received this fire. Go back to 2 Timothy. Now Paul wants to remind the disciple, his student. He wants to remind the follower of Christ, a man who had devoted himself to his work, a man who had decided to use his gifts in the service of the Lord. Paul wanted to remind Timothy that he needed to do something with fire. So the Bible tells us here, therefore I remind you to stir up the fire, to stir up the fire. In the presence of fear, stir up the fire. It's not enough to receive fire. We have to be responsible with the flames. We need to stir up the fire. That is not, that is for Timothy to not let the gift go unused and dormant. That is to not let the flame dwindle and die. Friends, this reminder is not just for Timothy because you and I are now in the classroom. And there's another great teacher. 
God had sent that teacher. For when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. We still have a great professor. We still have someone who is teaching us. And this reminder is not just to Timothy, it's to us today. What we need is not fear. What we need is fire. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 8, But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. How many men? All men. Generic men and women. He gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers, some hospitality, some have the gift of knowledge, others have the gift of language, tongues, to another, the gift of discernment. And in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 7 through 11, Paul talks about the source of this gift. He says this, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. The Spirit is manifested in the gifts. But the gifts are to be used not for the profit of one, but for the profit of how many? All. You and I have received fire, friends. But what has happened to us is we've allowed that fire to dwindle. And so the reminder is there, not just for Timothy, but for us today, to stir up the fire. There is not one among us who did not have or did not receive a gift from God. You have a gift, that inner fire that you're blessed with. And in most cases, we leave our gifts unused because we look at our circumstances around us or we mourn our losses. This fire was not given to profit just you, the gift of music, the gift of teaching, the gift of speaking, all ought to be used, not in Ephesus, but in the university church. This church needs fire. This church needs fire. We all need fire. We need servants, not masters. We need love, not criticisms. We need help, not burdens. We need prayers, not judgment. We need encouragement, not gossip. What we really need is the Holy Spirit in our midst. We need a church that is not crippled by fear. We need a church that is consumed by fire. We have our own future prospects. We are in a transition. And this leaves us now with many questions and concerns. And I cannot tell you how much. I know, because um, I've had many conversations with Pastor Stephen, that his number one desire is for the church to not be crippled, but for the church to move forward with the strength of the Lord. And I think, and you can agree with me, that the same God who has called him is the same God who calls us here. That the same God who has the power to make a difference in other parts of the world is the same God who can make a difference in us here. And so we need fire. I've had many uh, phone calls, encouragement, um, and just people praying, and I think it's very encouraging uh, for me. 
And I wish, my wish and my desire is that we do it for everyone. You see, the Sabbath school department needs your fire. The Sabbath school need the, needs the fire that the Lord has given to you. The music department needs the fire that God has given to you. And Satara is not here, but nonetheless, she would really appreciate if you were to join the international choir. I'll put a plug for her. We need musicians. The hospitality department needs the fire that God has given to you because potluck doesn't just fall out of the sky. People are behind the scenes working to make it happen. The men's ministry department needs the fire that God has given to you. The prayer department that meets on Sundays faithfully, Stacy and Sister Brooks, every Sunday morning at 7 a.m., praying for the church. They need fire too. The personal ministry departments needs the fire that God has given to you. The evangelism department needs the fire that God has given to you. The AV team upstairs that makes everything happen, they need fire too. Friends, when we use this fire, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 14 through 16, and this was the church that Timothy was leading. Paul had a letter for the church and for Timothy. And he says this, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cutting, cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, we may grow up. In all things into him who is the head. Christ is the head of the church. From whom the whole body is knit together by what every joint supplies. I love the language of scripture. Every joint supplies something. And as a result, the body grows. According to the effective working by which every part does its share. If every part does its share, what happens as a result is that the church will grow. And as a result, Paul says, it causes growth to the body for the edifying of itself in love. If everyone does their part, this church will be bursting at its seams. If everyone uses the fire, this church will be more than what it is. If everyone stirred up the fire that, is, that God has given to them, this church will be a great light in this community because you cannot miss a church that is on fire. You'll see it. So friends, we need fire, not fear. We need fire, not apprehension. We need fire to face the future. We need fire. Maury Schwartz, in closing, though he suffered from a terrible disease, and every day he laid counting his days, there were things that Maury Schwartz would do as a result of the ALS. His doctor gave him a test to see how far the disease has progressed. The challenge with ALS is that it not only affects your muscles, eventually it goes to your lungs and affects your lungs. And the doctor gave Maury Schwartz a test. He said, do this, and you'll see how much or how far you are in terms of how long you have to live. And Mitch Album had gone to his house one day and Maury talked to Mitch and he told him, you know, you know Mitch, I am going to die. And uh, Mitch, uh, Mitch Album responded by saying, don't talk that way. It's just, 
really, we don't need to focus on that. He was trying to encourage Maury. But Maury said to Mitch, do me a favor. The doctor gave me a test. I want you to try it. The test was simple. Maury said, just, just taking a deep breath. And then as you exhale, try to count and see how far you can go. So Mitch took a deep breath and counted one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and he made it all the way to probably around 30 or so. And Maury, it was his turn to try. And Maury took in a deep breath and he counted one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, and went to 20. And every single day that number decreased. When he counted, he got to 20 and then days later, 18 and days later, 16, 15, and every single day, his capacity to exhale while counting decreased. And so he knew that his moment, his, his, his death was imminent. But yet still, with every single breath that Maury breathed, he was trying to help others. He told people, when you come to see me, don't come pitying me. Come, tell me your problems. Come, tell me how I can help you. Come tell me the difficulties that you face. Come tell me about the troubles in your marriage. And then he said, when you speak, I will listen to you. And I will counsel you. But don't pity me. Don't pity me. People visited the home of this man until the day of his death. People wrote him many letters because there was one thing that Morris Schwartz did not want to happen. When you have a gift, don't simply just lay there and let the gift die. Use it, because other people's life can be changed by it. Use it to your very last breath. Use it, no matter the circumstances. And when you do, the world will remember you long after you're gone. When you have fire, use the fire. Don't let the gift that God has given you lay dormant. Don't let it go unused. You know, I, many people, just, just imagine this with me. Going to heaven, God has given you a gift. And you go, and the Lord says to you, what have you done with the gift I have given you? Lord, I have done nothing with it but return it to you brand new. We all have gifts. And I think it's time for us to use them for his service in his work. If there's one thing that I hope that you'll always remember is that my life, as I live it, I see the importance of using gifts for God's glory. Not for self-glorification, but for God's glory. So I'm always praying. I'm always looking. I'm always seeking. I'm always asking the Lord I never leave my home without praying this prayer, and every morning I do. I say, Lord, today I give myself to you. Guide me to whoever, whoever you want me to see, and use me in some way to make an impact in their lives. I prayed that prayer one morning, and I walked out of my house uh, with my uh, uh, cereal in hand. I was having breakfast, and... I got out of the house and walked out to my car, got in, 
sat down, turned the key, car didn't start. But I prayed that prayer. Never even, wasn't really thinking about it. I, car wouldn't start. And so here I was in the situation now thinking, getting frustrated a little bit. I'm, you know, I need to be, you know, here in my office. Um, and here's my, here it is now. My car would start. I had, a, I had a circumstance. I had a situation, right? I had my Timothy moment, you would say. Uh, Timothy didn't have cars, but nonetheless. Um, but there I was sitting, and I was praying. I said, Lord, somehow, just work the situation out. And as I was sitting there, I saw someone walking out of my apartment, and I just waved to him. I said, hey, my car wouldn't start. Can you please give me a jump, jump start? So wonderful, wonderful, nice, wonderful, nice, nice person, nice guy. Grabbed, got his car, pulled up beside mine, uh, hit my mirror, my side mirror, while he's trying to help me, uh, hit the mirror, and then he hopped out and was apologizing, and I'm like, you know, praise the Lord, amen. You know, almost took the mirror off. But amen, we're helping each other. And there were, you know, and then he pulled out his jumper cables and he gave me a jump. And afterward, like the Lord just spoke to me, this is the person you were praying for. And I said, hey, you've done me a huge favor. I want to return that favor. Would you allow me to take you out for lunch? He said, yes. And so we went out for lunch, maybe a, a few days later. And this good friend of mine, we're good friends to this day, um, when we first met together and talked, he declared immediately, I'm an atheist. And I said, I'm a pastor. What are the odds? <laughs> and there we talked about faith and talked about my journey. And to this day, actually, last Christmas, I just love this guy. He's just an amazing guy. Last Christmas, we went out into the community, and we handed out gifts to, to, to families that really needed help. And he was among the group. He came with us. And right after we were finished, he texted me and he said, listen, whenever stuff like that happens again, I want to be involved because I want to give back to my community. We're still working together. I was in Ohio preaching, and he was in Ohio there at a, at a university. He, he's here at Michigan State working. And I sent him a message. I said, hey, you should come to church. I'm in Ohio. He came to church on Sabbath, and when, when I was preaching the message, he took three pages of notes, and then when the service was over, he looked at me and gave me the notes, and I said, no, 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 it's fine, you keep the notes. We went for a long walk, and at the end of the walk, he said to me, you know, Jermaine, I'm afraid. I'm afraid of what I might become. I said, what do you mean? I'm afraid of becoming a Christian. Because some Christians are just bad examples. I was floored by that comment. And I prayed at that moment. I said, Lord, give me something to share, something to say. And he is, a, he is in the sciences. And so I prayed and the Lord, just, just, just this thought came to my mind. I said, you know, there are good scientists and bad scientists. You know, Robert Oppenheimer made the atom bomb, but... You don't blame science, do you? You don't refuse to be a scientist simply because someone made a destructive weapon or someone used a tool in a destructive way. I said the same is true for Christians. Some of us can be the Robert Oppenheimer sometimes. 
some of us might not even realize what we're doing and the results of it. And he said, you know, that's a valid point. I'm like, that's not a smart comment. But anyway, it worked. The Lord is good. And so we started talking some more. And he said, listen, I, I want to talk to you some more about becoming a Christian. So the Lord is still working on this young man's heart. I'm not sharing his name because we're still working together. And um, he's just a wonderful guy. Pray for him. Pray for me. But again, I think that it's time for us to be on fire for Jesus. And I think it's time for us to stir up that fire and set this community ablaze. What do you say? If that's your desire, I invite you to stand. And we're just going to close with prayer. My appeal is very simple. If God has given you a gift within this church, it is time for you to use it for his name's honor and glory. If God has given you fire, don't just leave it dormant. Stir it up. And be the light that you were called to be. Be the Timothy. Be the leader. Be the one that God has called you to be, to use those gifts for his name, name's honor and glory. You've stood, which indicates that you have a desire to serve, which means that we can talk to you about using your gifts, and which means that you'll talk to us about what you could do in our church community, in our church family. Is that reasonable? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we do not deserve anything from you. But yet you'd give us so much. So much. Father, we don't deserve any gifts. As James says that all gifts come from you. And as John says, a man cannot receive anything except it be given him from heaven. All of our gifts are from you. And Father, it would be a tragedy if we were to receive these gifts from you and not use them in your service. It would be a tragedy if we allow this fire to not keep, not go on burning. So I ask you in a special way that you be with our church, be with our members, be with our families at home, be with our community around us, and help us to help us to see the need. And help us, like Paul's counsel to Timothy, help us to stir up that fire that you've given us as a gift. We pray in Jesus' name. Let everyone say, Amen.